As you turn to your Bible, um, please turn to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 20. We're continuing this series, which we have entitled Grace Works. It's an appreciation of how the Spirit of God works in our hearts to produce characteristics which may not come naturally to any of us. Um, Today, we're going to be thinking of service. Uh, Service we can find difficult because it puts us out of our comfort zone. It may also just be, be challenging to us because uh, it's, it's not what we, we naturally put ourselves first, which is the, the, the bottom line in that. And, and yet it is something that God is working in us by His Spirit to produce because this is something that God says that, that is important, that, that this is what He wants to, to produce in, in our lives. So today we're, we're looking at what service might mean for all of us. We're going to do that through the lens of Matthew chapter 20. And so as we read this passage, let's hear God's word. It's Matthew 20, verse 20. It's page 988. And let's hear God's word. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and, kneeling down, asked a favor of him. What is it you want? he asked. She said, Grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. You don't know what you are asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup I am going to drink? We can, they answered. And Jesus said to them, You will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my Father." When the ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And we pray that God would add his blessing upon his truth. Amen. Most of us, I think, are probably pretty familiar to the tyranny uh, of calendar. Uh, Whether that calendar... Uh, is on your computer screen, on your iCalendar, whether it's Google Calendar, whether it's simply something that's hanging on the back of your, of your door in, in some room of your house. You know the, the fact that you feel that you're almost like a slave to that calendar and that each of those little boxes represents 24 hours in, in your life. It represents a unique episode in, in, in your life and you fill those squares with a, with a myriad of things. We fill that with work. We fill it with lunch uh, appointments. We, we, we fill it with meeting other people. We fill it with a, a thousand, a million other things that we don't even take the time to really remember. 
but we, we each fill that, and how you fill that is entirely up, up to yourselves. And of course, there is also on each of those little boxes a little magical line that opens up at, at, at midnight, and then it, just like a magnet, you're pulled into the next 24-hour period. And as you get older, <clears throat> uh, some people would suggest, because I don't know yet, but some people will say that those boxes seem to get a little bit smaller, and that they go quicker. <clears throat> and there's also the reality, of course, that one of those boxes uh, will be different from all the, the rest from you because there will be no door that opens up into the next one. And it will be the final box, the final 24 hours that you will, you will experience. And in the meantime, until we get to that point, we are all square fillers. And we fill our days as we choose how to do. And with the value that we place upon them, whatever that is. And I want to think today just in terms of how you actually fill those days, the quality of what goes into them, but also to probe maybe also the nature of the spiritual significance of each of those squares and what you do with it, in light of the fact, as we were thinking last week, of what Jesus Christ has done for us, because he has done this, therefore we should do this. What is the response that we make to the one who has given us everything, to the one who has died that we might have eternal life? What do we actually do for Jesus now? And if there's a Bible verse that I'm really centering on, it's going back to... Um, Matthew 20 and verse 28, you see it there. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for, for many. In view of what Jesus has done, what are you going to do uh, about that? Because Jesus has set us an example. He set us an example of how he served other people. And so that we have an understanding that whatever age you are, whatever your background is, whatever you believe uh, you may have to offer God, I want you to reflect what it means to be a servant of God. And I'm also going to make another assumption today that you're in this building and that there is something that is going on in your life that God has been doing something in your life, that you are wanting to make some degree of connection to God and that you are wanting to make some sort of response to God, whatever that is. And having made that assumption, that you will be able to understand the good thing that James and John had worked out when they came to Jesus with their mommy. Um, because they were, we normally were, normally were, were, were pretty down on James and John that this was an horrendous request that they made and view of the light of the response that Jesus made to it. But they were right about something. And what they were right about was the fact that the kingdom of God is the only thing that is really worth being involved in. And the way that is expressed is in verse 21, because they came to Jesus. Now, this version says that their mommy asked for them. Um, Mark's gospel in the version says that they asked Jesus. So, so either way, it's the three of them are, are involved in this. But verse 21, we, we read it earlier. It says, 
the request of the mum here, it says, Grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. And in making that request, what is blatantly obvious is that they knew that the only important thing to be involved in is the kingdom of God, and that that was really important to them. And having, having them having made that connection, I'm going to ask this morning is whether you are actually as far on as James and John, whether you are as fully convinced of what James and John were convinced of. And I don't know that you are. And the reason I'm going to say that is because if you were convinced that the kingdom of God is the only thing that is really worth being involved in, that that is going to change your life, that the, as we've been thinking, grace works, it is going to change you in some way. And one of the ways that it's going to, to evidence that is in this word, service. So that, or another way of describing that is that if you are following the stock market and you were really convinced that one particular company, that it was going to go through the roof, that's, that's the company that you're going to invest your money in. You're not going to be apathetic about that. If you believe that this is going to work, you will pile your money into that and you're not going to put it somewhere else. So if you're really convinced that Jesus is the one who really matters and the kingdom of God is the only thing that really matters, you will pile yourself into that. If you know that Jesus is going to reign, that Jesus is going to reign forever and ever, and that the kingdom of God is the only thing that matters, then you will follow that. But I suspect that that's not the reaction that we give 100%, because we're not following him fully. So you're not actually as far along as James and John were in, in this story. Some of us persist in how we describe, what do we call it, sitting on the fence, is that we, we, we know a little bit about Jesus, there's enough about Jesus that makes us interested, we want to give him a, at least a nod in his direction, and, and that we, we want to hear more, but we're not quite at the spot whereby we want to follow him fully and completely. So again, you're not as far on as James and John, and there may be particular pressures on your life, and particular issues going on that make you who you are and the reason for that hesitation, but I would encourage you to question whether you can continue thinking like that if the kingdom of God is the only thing that really matters in life. So James and John had this right, but they didn't really have a full understanding. If you look down to verse 22, because you see Jesus' reaction to them, and he says, look, you don't know what you are asking. Can you drink the cup that I am going to drink? And of course they said, yeah, we can. Now we, or at least I hope we know what Jesus is talking about here because we have a bit of a, a fuller understanding. James and John didn't quite get it. But because we have other biblical knowledge, we can fill this in. And we will know that when Jesus just a couple of chapters later in, in this gospel, he was, he was, when he was in Jerusalem and preparing uh, to go to the cross and he was in the Garden of Gethsemane and he's pouring his heart out before God and he's saying, God, if there is any 
other way that we can do this without me having to surrender my life on the cross. If there is any other way, make it happen. And the way that he describes says, make this cup pass from me. So what Jesus is talking about, even to James and John here, is suffering. And so he's saying to them, are you really ready for that side of following me, this suffering? They said yes, but they weren't really aware of what Jesus was talking about. And Jesus was saying, yes, you will share in this, but still, who's going to sit on my left and who's going to sit on my right? That's not for me to decide. And of course, we look at the other disciples, the other 10, and how they reacted to this. And that is in in verse 24. It says, when the other 10 heard about this, they were indignant. Now, it's not that they were any smarter. It's not that they had a deeper understanding of Jesus and his kingdom. Not that they understood more about Jesus' mission and how he was going to die for the world. But it was just the thinking, well, if there's two better slots, I'm not going to give these slots up without a fight. That's all that that they were thinking about. But Jesus was spelling out here what was different about him and his kingdom. And to allow these words maybe to dwell on our hearts a little bit more and a little bit more closely, let's read again what Jesus actually says in verse 25 to the end of where we had read at verse 28. And as we read these words quite slowly, to see that Jesus can speak to us about what is different about his kingdom and what we need to learn from that. So Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus is saying there, my way is different. The way of the kingdom is different from how the world, how the average person in the street actually thinks. So when we're thinking of how Jesus values service, that it's something that we should do, how is that different from how the world thinks? And there's a couple of ways that is because we know that the world thinks that service is menial. It's It's what other people do. It's not honourable in any shape. And you know that even in a way, and I think I've maybe said it at times before, but imagine if you go into a restaurant and you're sitting at the restaurant and someone comes who is going to serve your table that night and they often come and they, if they don't have a badge on, they'll, they'll say who they are. I'm George or I'm Emily, whatever it is. And I'm going to be looking after you tonight. Now, the thing is, you probably don't really pay that much attention to that person. Because all that you're thinking about is filling your stomach. And you're anticipating what lovely thing you're going to be eating. Or maybe it is that you are just thinking about who you're with. 
and that that's the most important thing in the evening. But you're not actually thinking about the person whose job it is to bring you your food because you think that person's not really important and all that I want that person to do is take my order, bring my food, and then disappear. And of course, the problem is that because you were paying them so little attention is that when you actually want their attention again, you can't remember what they looked like because you weren't paying attention to that person, because that person doesn't matter. The world says service doesn't matter, isn't as menial, but God is actually giving the sense here that service is significant. It's what Jesus has done. It's what Jesus calls us to emulate. So service is honorable, and God desires his children to be busy doing what he wants them to do. And the other thing about how the world thinks about service is that service, the world thinks service is getting exactly what you want. And that's how everybody thinks. And it's exactly what I want, when I want, when I'm ready for it. But God's perspective on service is not getting what you want when you want, when you're ready but rather doing what he wants when he's ready and what he wants you to do. That is what God is concerned about. So go back to my restaurant image. And when you're making your order and you're thinking like any other person in the world that service is getting exactly what you want, then imagine if you're on the dessert course and you're asking for some double chocolate brownie and you want the very particular ice cream with that and you want cream on top of it and to make it even just perfect, you're going to ask for a cherry on the top and, and that's the perfect order and that's what you're looking forward to and that's what you want. And then 10 minutes later, the, the girl or fella comes back they plop something down in front of you and they said, well, I know what you ordered, but actually I've been looking at you and I think that you need this skinny vegan brownie. Sorry to people who, who think these things are important. <laughs> but it's not what I wanted because I call the shots and I will have exactly what I want. And that's how we think service normally is. But God may be challenging us to think that service is not what we want because we're not the most important, but service is what he wants, when he wants. And I think that's also particularly relevant in our post-COVID world because one of the things that we constantly hear about is that we live in the day of the great resignation, is that if I don't like it, I won't do it. So in the news this week, you may have picked up on the, the general director, or whatever he is, of the CBI, the Confederation of British Industry, and he was saying, in his view, that the world of work has gone mad and that... Uh, bosses secretly want all their workers to come back to the office, but they also know that they can't say that, and it's never going to happen anytime soon. But that's the struggle with, with which we live, and there may be other, and a myriad of other reasons why people feel that they don't want to go back to the office, because ultimately they don't feel valued, they don't feel appreciated, and that the world of work, it, it, it can be pretty drastic and horrible at times, but it does rub off in the church as well. But... 
our motivation is different of what I've been saying all the way through because our motivation for doing anything is an understanding of what Jesus has done for us. And because Jesus has done this for us, that we need to do something for him. And he has served us. He has given us an example. And so he is now calling us to serve him where we actually are. So a recognition of who we are, the giftings that he has given us, where he has placed us and what he's calling us to do. So we will help out in certain ways. And even though it may not come natural, that it may be spending our time in a way that we don't want to spend our time, that we don't want to spend our time maybe in leading or helping out in a youth organization. Maybe we don't want to spend our time in one of our, our groups or even going and enduring, I'm sorry to say this, to our committee meetings or our session meetings. I could spend my time in any other way because I don't want to do those things. But that is what God is calling me to do for the good of his kingdom. Or standing up, doing something, preparing to do something, I might prefer to do something different, but this is what God is calling me to do. And what's the value? Well, it's the motive. It's because God has done so much for you. It's his glory. It's his kingdom. And there, when it comes to our discipleship and following after Jesus, there's always the two sides. There's always the glory, but there's the cost. James and John in this passage, were excited about the glory. They, they could see heaven and they could see the big seats and they wanted to be there and they wanted to be part of that and that was wonderful. But what they didn't want to be part of was the cost right now. And I don't think we can blame them because I don't think we would be any different. So when we're thinking about what service actually is, I think maybe the way that we could understand it is that service will mean sacrifice. And what is it then today that holds you back from serving Jesus where you are? Why would you be content to sit back just thinking that that's somebody else's job, that that's what somebody else can get on with? It may be that you've suffered some grievance in the past, that someone has said the wrong thing, or that someone hasn't appreciated you in the way in which you felt that you should have been appreciated and you don't want to, to do your bit now. But what you should know is that every single Christian at the point of their conversion, when they come to know and love the Lord, it is not only that their sins are forgiven and they've got the hope of eternal life, but they also have a gift given by God to them, a gift with which they can use to serve not themselves, not to promote themselves, but to serve God and to serve Jesus. And so in the words of the psalmist, you will serve the Lord with gladness. There's a lot of hot air in many ways about spiritual gifts and what they are and what they mean. But they're basically all the same sort of thing. And maybe if I read one of the lists of spiritual gifts, and as you listen to this today, to know that, try and see yourself in it. That, and ask yourself what it could be that God has given uniquely to you. I'm going to read from Romans chapter 12, verses 6 through to 8, where it says, We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve 
If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then encourage. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. So even as we've read that, there's always two things to bear in mind. If you are a Christian, you have a gift. And if you have a gift, you should be using it. And there are lots of places and opportunities where you could be doing that. You could be looking around, even in this church, in this congregation, thinking about where it is that I could do that and where I could offer myself. So don't even be afraid to mention the possibility to me. And if there's something that is... If you're aware that you have a longing within your heart, it is quite likely that God has been moving you in that way and that God has been speaking to you and laying that upon your heart and that you should do something about that. So if God in that sense has given you the work docket, take that slip, write your name on it and say, I'm going to do that because that's what God is calling me to do. And we don't need to make a circus out of it. We don't need to believe that we need to do everything because no one can do everything, but you can do something. And don't let the devil say you're too old or you're too young or you're too timid or you're too quiet or, you're, or that you're not going to be good enough to do that because that's nonsense. And our attitude then should never be how much can I get away without doing before my conscience bothers me, but rather what can I do that doesn't hinder my other God-given responsibilities? Because you have a gift, and you are called to use it, and it's an expression of the working of God in your life. Maybe we'll just pause, and we'll pray at this point. Let's pray. Lord, in the quietness of just now, we listen to you. We lay ourselves open to you. Lord, may we be passionate and wholehearted followers. May we be excited about the kingdom of God and knowing that, Lord, of all the interests that we have and of all the, the, the issues in life that we may be passionate about, that, Lord, this is what really counts because this is the thing that matters. This is literally life and death. So Lord, show us the values of the kingdom of God. Ignite a passion within our hearts that, Lord, only you can satisfy. Lord, hear us as we pray. Amen.